0: Well, good afternoon. It's my great honor to be here with you today. My name is Afshin Ziafat. I'm the lead pastor of Providence Church in Frisco, Texas, in the Dallas area. Uh, A very happy Dallas area today, after the Dallas Mavericks won the NBA championship last night. And, uh, yep, yep, well, uh, my wife Meredith and I live in Frisco, and uh, I am an an Iranian-American. I was born... Uh, Originally in Houston, I was uh, two years old when my family moved back to Iran, and we moved to Iran in the 70s. In the late 70s, an Islamic revolution hit that country. I was six years old when my family got out, and we moved back to Houston. I moved back to Houston in the middle of first grade, didn't speak English, and so God uh, through a Christian tutor. My family didn't know she was Christian, but she taught me the English language, and this lady gave me a New Testament in the second grade, told me I wouldn't understand it, but hold on to it and read it when I'm older. Ten years later, becoming curious about the person of Christ, growing up in a very strong Muslim home, my father was a very prominent Muslim in Houston, uh, I became curious about Jesus, I found that Bible, I began reading, and I came to faith in Christ by reading the Word of God. And so, because of my newfound faith and my uh, respect for my father, I hid my faith from him until he found out, sat me down, and made me choose between him and Christ, And by God's strength alone, I was able to choose Jesus that day. And my father disowned me and told me to get out of his face. I walked upstairs to my room. And the defining moment of my life is when God led me in that room to the scripture in Matthew 10, where Jesus says, Do not suppose I've come to bring peace to the earth. I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. It goes on and says, whoever wants to find his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And by the grace and power of God, I was able to lose my life in order to find the life Christ had for me. I walked away from my father, I walked away from the dream of him paying for my entire medical school, and I was going to take over his practice and be set for life as a doctor in Houston, and God called me into ministry. Eventually landed at Southwestern Seminary, landed at Prestonwood Baptist Church in Dallas, was an intern there. And out of that church, now the last 11 years, God's given me a nationwide speaking ministry, traveling all over the country and even the globe to share the gospel. And probably the greatest joy of my life outside of pastoring that church in Frisco is I uh, am able to partner with a ministry called Elam Ministries, E-L-A-M. And Elam is uh, located in England, but they reach into Iran through the underground church. And I partner, I'm not the only trainer, I'm one of many trainers, uh, but I go once or twice a year, I can't get into Iran, but to a neighboring country where Iranian men and women who have come to faith in Christ are coming to this country and coming to this underground training site. And guess who gets to go there in my native language once or twice a year to teach them how to preach and how to uh, evangelize. And they go back into Iran today to plant underground churches. And I say to you today, if I held on to my life, I would, I would still be, today I'd be a doctor. My dad would be proud of me, but I would have missed the life Christ had for me. And so that's who I am and that's my story, but today what I want to share with you, the message God has laid on my heart is simply this, that a proper understanding of the gospel will be the greatest fuel for missions, a proper understanding of the message of salvation uh, the message of salvation, that uh, we're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, is inextricably tied to the call to missions. If you understand the gospel, you will understand that it is primarily a sending gospel, that we're saved in order to be sent. So 1 Peter says that we were not a people, but now we are a people, okay? First Peter says that we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. That we are a chosen race, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, so that we might proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his glorious light, marvelous light. We're called to proclaim it. 2 Corinthians 5 says those who've been reconciled are given the ministry of reconciliation. So they go hand in hand. And I would say the reverse is true. When our appreciation and understanding of the gospel, the grace that we've received, when that wanes, then I would say our heart for for missions suffers. When we forget what we've received in Christ through the gospel, when we forget the mercy and grace of Jesus, then our heart for missions suffers. And then, with that in mind, I want you to turn, if you have a Bible with you, uh, turn to Jonah. Turn to the book of Jonah. This is a book... That God has recently really laid on my heart. And uh, most of you, or I should say all of you, know the story of Jonah. So uh, I'm just going to give a quick overview and get to really where I want to get to at the very end of the book. So God comes to Jonah in chapter 1 and he tells him to go to preach to Nineveh. Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. And we already know from the preaching of Amos, Amos is a contemporary of Jonah. So forget about us, Jonah already knew that the Assyrians would one day come and conquer Israel. So they were the enemy, and we also know from reliefs we've uncovered that they were gruesome people. They would dismember their captives of war. So if you will, the Assyrians were the al-Qaeda of the day. And so Jonah says, no way, and he hightails it, runs from God's call. And you know the story, God appoints a storm, God appoints a fish, and ultimately brings him back to dry land and comes to him a second time. And Jonah reluctantly goes to Nineveh, this city that it would take three days to walk throughout the city. He goes one day, he goes a third of the way, and he preached five Hebrew words. It's eight in your English Bible, but it's five Hebrew words. Look at the power of God. Five Hebrew words, and the Bible says that the entire city repents and turns to God. The king even himself gets off of the throne, takes off his robe puts on sackcloth, fasts, and cries out for mercy. And when the gospel penetrates our hearts, that's what ought to happen, that we deny ourselves, we get off of the throne, we put aside our own righteousness and our own works, and we cry out for mercy to a holy God. And so they receive mercy, and Jonah's going to be ticked off at God because they receive mercy. And in verse 1 of chapter 4, it says it displeased Jonah exceedingly. The Hebrew says it this way. It was evil to Jonah, a great evil, ra'ah. He literally attributes God with evil for having mercy on these these people that he thought was the enemy. And so I say to you, man, Exodus and Romans both say this. God says, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy to whom I show mercy. It's not up to us who gets mercy. It's up to God. And so... God's going to turn Jonah to look at his own heart. In verse 4, he says, do you do well to be angry? Jonah, are you doing well? Look at your own heart. Have you forgotten what I've done for you? Eventually, he takes him through this series of circumstances where he allows a plant to cover his head to give him comfort from the sun, and then he uses a worm to wither away the plant and remove the plant, and then Jonah is angry again because the plant has withered. And I want everyone now to look to verse 10 and 11. I want you to see the heart of God. Jonah 4 verse 10, and the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? And so here's what I want you to see. I think in this story, we learn three things about the gospel and three things about God's heart for others. And I think if we really understand what we've received in the gospel, then it will drive us to missions. Number one, the gospel reminds us that we were enemies of God before Christ came into our life. And the gospel reminds us, and this book reminds me, that God has a heart for the enemy. God has a heart for the enemy. You see, Jonah thought that the Assyrians were the enemy. You know what's interesting? In 2 Kings 14, the Bible says at a time when Israel was rebellious towards God that God had mercy on them and allowed their borders to be restored and he brought the message of mercy through the lips of Jonah. So Jonah was willing to preach mercy to his own people but when mercy was extended to someone who he thought was the enemy, he was angry with God. He shook his fist at God. He got on the throne whereas the king of Nineveh got off the throne. He got on the throne and he judged God. But he forgot that he also was an enemy. He also was an enemy. And so Romans chapter 5 says to all of us today that we were all enemies of God before we were reconciled by the death of his son. Do you know that? Do you know that we were all enemies of God? And so he allows that plant to come up over his head and the plant to be removed to say, hey, Jonah, if I'm not covering you, you're in the same boat as them. And to tell all of us today, again, that all of us, the followers of Christ, we were enemies. And listen, I am passionate about this truth. And let me tell you why. Because when my family came back to this country, shortly thereafter, the Iran hostage crisis hit. And everybody turned against my family in Houston because we were from Iran. My brother and I were kicked off the soccer team because Iran was the enemy. We had rocks thrown through our window in Houston because Iran was the enemy. Older high school kids threatened to beat up my brother and I. Now listen, I'm not throwing a pity party, but I'm just saying I was the enemy. Anyone from Iran. And yet I'm so thankful that one Christian lady decided I'm going to love this Iranian kid. And she poured herself into me, and she loved me at a time when everybody was treating me as an enemy. And she gave me the Bible. And I say to you, had anyone else given me the Bible, I would have probably thrown it away. But since it came from her, I held on to it, and today I stand a follower of Christ because she loved me at a time when everybody thought I was an enemy. And so I'll never forget when September the 11th hit. September the 11th hit. The next Sunday I was preaching at Roswell Street Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia. And I preached a message that we have a unique opportunity in this window of time when Muslims are expecting us to treat them with disdain, to show them love. And I'll never forget, some of my colleagues, some of my friends even, told me, don't take that message out. We're angry, we want justice. We don't want to even think about the Muslims who don't know Christ. And I was like, what message do you not want me to take out? The message of Christ who says, you heard it said, love your neighbors and hate your enemies, but I say to you, love your enemies and bless those who persecute you. Goes on and he says, if you only love people who love you, what more do you do than the tax collectors? That's the message of Christianity, that while we were enemies, Christ was rich in his mercy towards us. And so I say, I don't condone, obviously, what the terrorists did. I'm not at all saying that we should just condone the evil, but I'm just saying that our heart ought to move with compassion for those who we think are the enemy. I just think today, if the Apostle Paul was with us and he heard about the death of Osama bin Laden... I just think, I, I don't think he would run down to Pennsylvania Avenue and, and high-five everyone and hoop and holler. I think the Apostle Paul would get on his face and thank God for showing him mercy on that road when he himself was Osama bin Laden before Christ came into his life. And listen to me, hear me, don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying, I, I want Al-Qaeda to come down. I want Al-Qaeda to be destroyed. I want, I'm happy Bin Laden was found. I'm just saying that I'm disqualified from rejoicing over somebody perishing forever in hell when I look at the cross and I see that Christ was brutally murdered because I was an enemy. So, if you understand the gospel, it'll move you to think of people differently. Secondly, the gospel reminds me not only that I was an enemy of God, but that I was spiritually blind. Look at verse 11 of Jonah 4. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from the left? Deuteronomy 5 says this. Follow the law and don't turn to the right or the left. And let me tell you what's happening here. God is telling Jonah, you have the law. You have the revelation. You know your right from your left. What about these people who don't know? You see, when we see people who don't know Christ act like it, We shouldn't be so disgusted and appalled that that we don't move with compassion towards them. Instead, we ought to think if I didn't have Christ, I'd be right there with them. Because hear me, Ephesians chapter 2 says that we were all spiritually dead before Christ made us alive. A dead person can't bring himself to life. life. It It was God's mercy that opened my eyes and brought me out of the pit. All right? Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Okay, Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father draws them. 1 Corinthians says that the carnal mind can't understand the things of God, but we've received the mind of Christ. Do you understand that it's by mercy and grace that you even know the truth of Jesus? And if you understand that, I say to you, entitlement goes out the door, your rights will go out the door, and you'll lay your life down so that others who don't know will know. You'll put others before yourself. In Philippians 2, Paul says it this way, do nothing out of selfish ambition or or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And the next thing he does is he points them to the gospel. He says, have this mind in you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was equal with God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. He emptied himself and he came in the form of a bondservant and he became obedient to God all the way to the point of the death of the cross. And so I say to you, he says, when you remember the gospel, you will put others before yourself. And I say to you, that when we understand the grace we've received, it'll move us with compassion. I'll never forget, man, just a few weeks ago I was on Southwest Airlines. Now, if you ever want to see this played out, just get a ticket on Southwest Airlines. As far as I know, they're the only airline that will uh, not assign you a specific seat. They'll give you a boarding group, right? They'll give you a letter and a number. So A1 through 30 goes first, A31 through 60, B1 through 30, B31 through 60. So. Here's how it works. The first group gets on and it's all about me. I'm going to get the aisle seat right at the front of the plane, right? And then eventually after some time, you'll start to sit in the window. And so by the time the C minus group gets on there, they're looking at a plane full of middle seats, right? Okay. And I'll never forget, I was walking on and a father and a son were right in front of me and they had the audacity to ask the lady in the first row aisle seat, excuse me, ma'am can me and my son sit here, and can you sit in the empty middle seat in the second row? And she was like, oh, just appalled. Everyone was, everyone gasped, like, how dare you? And I know what she was thinking. Hey, she got up early, and she made sure that she got her A-plus ticket. She went online and got that thing. Who is this C-minus guy, right, who shows up late to the airport and just goes to the kiosk, and now he wants my seat? See, entitlement sets in when you think you deserve it. But check this out. What if the scene was different? What if the way she got that ticket, the way she got on that plane was actually she missed her flight and she went to the powers that be on Southwest Airlines and asked to be on this next flight and they wouldn't let her on. And let's just say that there was a guy who overheard that and he came and he had an A-plus ticket. And I'm not saying this could happen, but let's just say that he said, hey, you know what, she can have my ticket. I don't need to go. I'll go on the next flight. And let's say that's how she got on the plane. Now enter father and son. Excuse me, ma'am, can I have your seat, please, so I can sit with my son? I'd be tempted to say that lady would jump up and say, it's yours. I'll sit wherever. Why? Because I'm on the plane. I don't deserve to even be on the plane. Do you see how your perspective changes when you understand the grace that you have received? And I say to you, in our training centers with Elam, we really know that the gospel has taken root in someone's heart. We really know the gospel has taken root in someone's heart when their passion is to go back to Iran. You see, there's many people who say the right things and they come and they're really, their heart is to get out of Iran. They wanna get to the west. But hear me, when they are impacted with the gospel and they understand what they've been given, they understand the revelation they've received, the stewardship they have, they say, there's no way I could go to America and just be comfortable. I gotta go back to my people in Iran got to go back. And so Jesus in Matthew 12 speaks of these men in Jonah's time and he says that the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment and testify against this generation for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Five words. But you have something greater, Jesus. What have we been given in the revelation of Christ? It ought to move us for compassion for those who are still spiritually blind. And then, oh wait, let me tell you this. There was a There was a lady, there's a couple of ladies, excuse me, there's a couple of ladies in Iran a couple of uh, years ago named Maryam and Marzia, and together they were so blown away by the gospel that together they decided they wanted all their people to know the gospel, and they've taken these New Testaments right here, Farsi New Testaments, two of them have spread 20,000 New Testaments around Iran. And I say to you, they've been so burdened for it, the Iranian government found out. Let me tell you, 30 years of oppression in Iran and the, uh, uh, and the Islamic regime, I say to you, the people of Iran are more open to the gospel than ever before. And when these New Testaments reach people's hands from our people, uh, we, the stories are, they grab them, they kiss them, they put them to their uh, ch- heart and their chest, and they say, man, I've been wanting to hear about this Jesus power of the Word of God. And so Maryam and Marzia, two young ladies, spread these New Testaments throughout Iran, so much so that the government put this picture of this New Testament, this Red New Testament, put it in an ad in the newspaper in Tehran and said, look out for these red books and don't read them. Free advertising. Now everyone in Tehran wanted to get their hands on one of these New Testaments, all right? And so I say to you, it was birthed out of two ladies saying, there's no way I could have this revelation and not go out to those who yet do not know. Where he's not been named, I aspire to go proclaim. See it? They did it. And then thirdly, not only does the gospel remind me that I'm an enemy, before Christ came into my life, not only does the gospel remind me that uh, I was spiritually blind before Christ opened my eyes, that I was spiritually dead, as Ephesians 2 says, but thirdly, the gospel reminds me that I was separated, cut off by God from God, because of my sin, that I was not of the people of God, and by the blood of Christ I am drawn near to, to God only. And so hear me, why do I say that? Because Jonah here, if you look again in verse 10, he says, you pity the plant for which you did not labor. In verse 11, he says, shouldn't I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are 120,000 persons? What God is saying, you're pitying a plant you had nothing to do with. I made these people. You see, Jonah thought it was just all about Israel. And God is using this book to teach Jonah, to teach Israel, to teach us today that it's not just about us. Hear me. I am very, even in our time, we get so wrapped up with everything is about America for us. Now listen to me. Please don't misunderstand me. I love this country. I'm very patriotic. I was born here. I love America. But hear me. I'm not so consumed with America that I forget that first and foremost, I belong to the kingdom of God. You Hear me? Now listen to me. I should see everybody in this world in two groups. Those that are cut off, separated from God, and those who only by the grace of God are drawn near by His blood. That's it. Not American, not something, but so my heart ought to move for those who don't yet know. And I say to you that the gospel is a sending gospel. When you understand that you were cut off, but by grace you were drawn near, it will send you. The gospel didn't come into our hearts to terminate with us. If you really have grabbed a hold of the gospel, it will send you out to others who do not know, to get out of your people. That's always been the case in the Scriptures. Abraham, God comes to Abraham, and he says, leave your father's country, and I'm going to make you a great nation. So is it all about him? Listen, he says the greatest promise, he says, through you, all the families of the earth will be, will be blessed. So Abraham, it won't even be just about your tribe. Sure, as many as the stars are, so your descendants be. But it won't just be about you. Through you, my message will go out to all. The ultimate descendant, Jesus alright and then so Jesus comes in John chapter 10 and he says to the Jews of his day that I'm the good shepherd I lay my life down for the sheep but I have sheep that are not of this fold it's not just for you and I must draw them also so there will be one flock and one shepherd so Acts chapter 10 comes Peter's on that rooftop. He sees the vision of the sheep coming down with animals of various kinds. And he hears God say, Peter, rise, kill, and eat. And Peter says, I will not touch what is common and unclean. And God says, don't call what I have made common and unclean. What does God say to Jonah? I made these people, 120,000. And so there's a rap at the door and a Gentile man, Cornelius, has had a vision and he calls for Peter and Peter steps, gets uncomfortable and steps into a Gentile man's home, preaches the gospel, the Holy Spirit falls upon them and they baptize them and when Peter gets back to the good Christians at base camp back in Jerusalem, they rebuke him for what he did. How dare you preach to the Gentiles? And Peter says if they receive the same Holy Spirit that we received, then who am I to stand in God's way? And one of the most amazing verses, the Bible says that the church fell silent and they understood that the message of the gospel was not just for the Jews but for the Gentiles also. It's not just for our people. And when you understand that you were cut off and God by his grace drew you near, then it will propel you to go out to others who are cut off, who don't look like you, don't smell like you, are not your people. You'll go to the places where he has not been yet named. And so that's exactly what Jesus did for us. Forget Jew and Gentile. The greatest divide is holy God and sinful man. And Jesus got uncomfortable, if you will. He left his position of glory. He emptied himself and came as a bondservant, as I already said, and became obedient to God. He bridged the greatest divide for us. And so I say when we bridge those divides, when we go out to those places, when we proclaim the gospel to our people and show them, hey, we were cut off, so we ought to go out to those who are cut off, I say to you, we will show the world, Jesus, what he's done for us. That's the gospel. And if it penetrates your heart, you will go out and listen, sometimes we say, man, if I really get radical about that, I may have to lose some possessions. I may have to lose my life, forgetting that we've already lost our life. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. You know, one more thing about those terrorists. I think we can learn a whole lot from their philosophy. Let me explain what I mean. And you know, I've seen those terrorist uh, videos that they show on Al Jazeera Network. If you know what I'm talking about. They actually they blur out the terrorist face when they're in the camp and they're going to leave and become a sleeper cell. They actually say, this is what I want done at my funeral. This is what I want done with my possessions. This is what I want done with my family. So when they leave that base camp and they come to the west to be a sleeper cell, they have already reckoned themselves dead. And a person who's already reckoned himself dead is dangerous. And we've seen what it can do. But listen to me. That is New Testament, man. Galatians 2.20 Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Paul says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Now, they're doing it for evil, for for murder, but God has called us to reckon ourselves already dead. So who cares about my possessions? Who cares about my, I'm already dead. And So let me go out regardless of what it may cost me. And so in Iran, Today, the gospel is spreading despite persecution. In fact, I would say the gospel is spreading because of persecution. And because of chains of our men and women there, more people are knowing about Jesus because they're seeing their passion. And again, I say to you, the people are oppressed and they're hungry for the gospel. This place where we think that they're the enemy, I say to you, what's happening here in Jonah is happening today. More people have come to Christ in the last 30 years in Iran than the previous, I'm told, 1,500 years combined because people are hungry. And so it may cost you, but if you understand what you've received, again, your rights go out the door, your entitlement goes out the door. It's not just about us versus them. They're not the enemy no longer in your eyes. You have one enemy, and you see everyone else as blinded. And you're called to go and, and, and spread that to them. And so, um, the day after Christmas, I close with this and i got a video I want you to see. The day after Christmas, think of all you've done since Christmas. The day after Christmas, several of our men and women, our people in Iran were arrested. Seventy Christian leaders were arrested. Uh, my good friend, Farshid, dropped his little girl off at school in Tehran And started getting text messages on his way actually to the school. Started getting phone calls from people in his house church. They've come. They've arrested us. We're on our way to jail. So he knew it was coming for him. He dropped off his little girl. Received a phone call from his house. And it was the authorities. They were there. They said, we have your wife. We're in your house. You need to come home. He called one of my friends and said that I'm about to go through persecution. Pray for me. He went back home. And I say to you, Farshid has been in prison for the last... Five and almost five and a half months at times, in fact 47 days in solitary confinement. And listen to me, the message that has come out from those two girls two years ago, the message that has come out from all these men and women that are in prison today is this, don't just pray for our release. Pray that more of our brethren in Iran would know about Christ through our chains. Now, How can that be what it looks like to follow Christ over there? And what are we doing here? And so I say, when you understand the grace you've received, man, a proper understanding of that will propel you into missions. I want to show you this video of the persecution that's happening in Iran, and I challenge you, actually, if you want to, go to elam.com, E L A M.com. You can show this video at your church. Uh, if you follow on Twitter, go to at Iran30. All right, at Iran30, you can follow them there. And let's pray for our men and women there. But hear me, eyes on me, pastors. Let's preach the gospel to our people so they stop looking at Muslims and others as the enemy. and Stop looking at them as, as others. And remember that, man, we all were separated before Christ came into our life. Let me pray, and then I want you to see this video. Father, we love you. We thank you for your mercy given to us. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you, Jesus. That we are saved by grace through faith alone, not of our works. And may we never, ever take for granted what we've been given. And may that even haunt us with the stewardship that we have to go out, no matter the cost, to spread the gospel. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Watch this video, please.